It's been a fantastic morning uh, so far. We are continuing and finishing a two-week teaching series. You're like, is that really a series? I don't know, but it's two weeks, and we're looking at the life of Mary Magdalene as a part of our Year in the Word. Uh, we're studying Mary Magdalene. So if you missed last week, let me catch you up on a couple of key things. First of all, if you've heard conspiracies about Mary Magdalene, she was not the wife of Jesus. Uh, she was somebody that had been radically changed by Jesus, but was not married to Jesus. She also was not a prostitute. As much as myself and others get that wrong sometimes, she uh, was somebody who had a past, though, and had a pretty destructive past. But she really gets a bad reputation. And what we want to look at this morning is, how can Mary Magdalene be someone who is able to eventually resist what the enemy wants for her life, to not respond to the resurrection with anxiety and fear, but instead with obedience to what Christ is asking her to do. Mary is a very special uh, person in the New Testament. She is one of the few women mentioned 12 different times throughout the New Testament, and we're gonna break a lot of that down for you this morning. But that said, I get the special privilege this morning to introduce to you, I'm actually, we're doing something a little different this morning. I'm co-teaching with our brand new pastor of prayer and fasting. How many of you are excited that we now have a pastor of prayer and fasting? Yeah, come on. And this is somebody that she has been a part of our church since before we launched, her and her husband. And they've been an incredible family here, making a huge impact. She's one of those women that I just go, every time I'm around here, I feel like I get closer to Jesus. I can't wait to have her share. She's a phenomenal communicator. Will you give a warm Mercy Road welcome to her very first weekend on the job to our new pastor of prayer and fasting, Pastor Envita Elder. Come on. Good morning, church. I am so excited to be here this morning. I just want to take a second and thank Pastor Josh and Lisa for their leadership. You guys are such amazing examples of what it means to love God and people well, so thank you. Um, like you said, my name is Envita, and I have gotten to know Jesus in just such a sweet, powerful way through prayer and fasting over the years, and I just can't wait to just grow as a church in the coming months with prayer and fasting. Um, so a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh asked if I could co-teach with him on Mary Magdalene. And honestly, my first reaction was like, oh God, I don't relate to her. I don't really know that much about her. I'm gonna need a lot of help, you know, all those things. But I just feel like as I started studying her, God really showed me that I have a lot more in common with her than I realized. So I'm so excited to share some of that with you. Um, but we're gonna start with a prayer first. God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for being our God. You are so good for just being who you are, Lord. And thank you for giving us the privilege to be your sons and your daughters, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak to us in a way that only you can this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to ask, are there any Marys in the house? Like, your name is Mary. Really, church full of people, nobody's named Mary. Okay, well, last week, last service, we had a Mary. I just think all the Marys have bonus points with Jesus, you know? Um, like, his mother was Mary. The first person he spoke to when he was raised from the dead was Mary, and I just, you know, it's my opinion. But, but then my, uh, Mary we're talking about this morning is Mary Magdalene. And the first time we hear about her is in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. 
And it says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now, I just want to clarify, this is not one of the things that I had in common with her. Um, <laughs> I think one would have been pretty bad, but this woman has seven demons. Have you ever come across somebody where you met them and you're trying to be nice, but you're like, hey, we're acting a little different? Maybe very different. You know, I've come across some people when they've been so bizarre, where I was just like, you know, I go into this deep conversation with Jesus. I'm like, God, what is wrong with them? Like, are they possessed? Because I don't. Normal people don't act like this, you know. Um, but sometimes it's really easy to identify things that are not normal, so to say. But the devil, it's not usually easy to identify him like that. He's not always so black and white. See, the enemy, he wants to keep you in your past instead of moving to a life that Jesus can give you. In 1 Peter, Peter reminds us, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. The life that Mary was living, that was Satan's best for her. That was not God's best for her. See, in our lives, a lot of times the way he works, he's, he's just, he's so sneaky. And he just kind of fuels you with, Lies and he makes your torture, so to say, just so personal to you. For Mary, I don't know what she felt like when she was possessed. I wonder if she just felt indifferent because this is all she knew, right? Maybe she felt alone. Maybe she was afraid. Maybe she just felt like she was a prisoner in her own body. I don't know. But the enemy uses those tactics in our lives with our insecurities and Sometimes he's just so subtle. Like, give you an example this week. He kind of threw some facts about myself in this today. So, you know, Pastor Josh, I should just speak this morning. You should probably call and cancel because you've never done this before. You have the potential to really fail in front of hundreds of people on your first day, on your job, you know. Um, you're really not qualified for this. And the truth is, you really hate public speaking, and it's terrifying. And then I almost called him to be like, you know, maybe this is a bad idea. Or maybe you should just take baby steps, you know, maybe to work towards this role. See, though, all the facts are there, and sometimes Satan uses those facts to hold us back from the life that Jesus wants to give us. See, I had to recognize the facts, and the fact is I'm not qualified. I didn't go to Bible college. But the truth is it's God who qualifies me. See, the fact is I am horrified of public speaking. You don't know how many people are praying for me right now. <laughs> I'm horrified of it. But the truth is God has not given me a spirit of fear. The fact is that I am never going to feel adequate enough to do what God's called me to do. But it's not who I am and who God is and what he wants to do through me. So we need to identify what the lies are, and they may be subtle, and they might be the facts. Maybe the fact in your life is that your spouse just left you, and the enemy's like, you know what? You just got abandoned. You're always going to be alone. But you need to fight back with the truth, and the truth is that God is never going to leave you or forsake you. 
And the fact might be that you might be going through the worst season of your life and you can't understand why all these things are against you, but you need to remember that God is for you and not against you. So the enemy tries to use all these things in our lives to hold us back, to keep us in a place where we can't move forward and can't live a life of freedom that God has given us. See, the enemy, in Luke 10, 19, Jesus told us that, behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. So while he might be giving you the facts, he has given you the authority to fight back. You don't need to go along with the facts that he gives you. You can fight back. And Jesus, he tells us that, in John 10, 10, that the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life in abundance, like this life that's just overflowing. And um, with Mary, one of the things that we'll never know is really how she felt while she was imprisoned with all these demons. But we do know that she recognized the difference between the life that she had lived and the life that Jesus had given her. And I wonder if you know the difference between the life that you used to live before you knew Jesus. And how is your life different today? Because you know him. And I think that's really important. One of the things that Pastor Josh had mentioned is that she's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. Now, that number might not be a big number to you, but it's huge. That, compared to all the other women, I don't know the exact number, but it's like three and below or four and below, but compared to everybody else, it's a lot. So then I started looking into why is she mentioned so many times. And when you read about her, you just find her just kind of with Jesus everywhere. You know, there's Jesus on the cross and there's Mary just watching from the sidelines. And then Jesus is buried and there's Mary Magdalene again. Or Jesus is traveling the countryside and there's Mary with him. And then it just occurred to me, Siri's trying to talk, um, and then that that is something that I could identify with her. See, I grew up in the church, and I'd gone to church my whole life, every Sunday. When I became a teenager, I started making some really poor decisions in my late teens. And I just had this burden of this weight on my chest that, oh, I should not be doing this. So my church had this altar call. So I remember going to the altar and saying, God, I just, this is not good. I know you're not happy. And my parents are making it very clear that they're not happy with the decisions that I'm making right now. But God, I just need your forgiveness. And I remember going up there and just feeling like the weight of the world just came off of me. It was so good. And then a few weeks go by, and then I find myself at the altar again. It's like, God, so I know we here last time, but I tried again, and I just failed. And I just feel like there's this burden on me, and I just can't get rid of it, and I just need your help. And you know what he did? He forgave me. And I did this. Weeks went by. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. And I just found myself in that place, like, God, I need help. I am just, I find myself in this cycle that I just can't get out of. And then after a few years, I find myself getting kicked out of college because I failed out of all my classes, which was very unlike me at the time. And I was like, God, I'm just so broken. I'm so alone. I don't know what to do. I need your help. And this is a long story, but a few weeks later, I find myself in this small town in the middle of nowhere, away from everyone I know, everything I had known, in this program for college. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to be focused. I'm gonna, I can do this this time. See, this whole time, I was trying to make this thing about me and how I 
could get my relationship with the God, right? And I had a neighbor who invited me out to church, and he, and at the service, they had an altar call. And I was a professional at altar calls by this time. So I was like, okay, here I go. So I go up there again, and I was like, God, what a mess. I am a mess, you know? Like, I don't know what to do, but I know that you got me here. Now I don't know anybody. I don't know anything. I need you to help me start over again. And then I met people who were just so on fire for the Lord. And I learned that they could hear from God. I was like, what is that? I'm like, it's usually me talking. I didn't know he could hear from him. And I found myself in that season just locking myself in my little apartment and just reading the Bible for hours at a time and just worshiping for hours. And I got to know sweet Jesus in just a sweet way. And what I, my mind couldn't even comprehend is like, who is this God who just didn't stop chasing me, who never made me feel condemned or shameful what I had done? Instead, every time I went to him with the same thing, mind you, over the years, he forgave me over and over and over again. And I felt his love in a way that, I mean, there are no words for it. And I just got to know God in a such a sweet way. And I'm like, God, I don't want to leave this place. What better yet is that, yes, I got to know him, but the reason why I was continue, could live that life is that I found out in that time who I was. And I wasn't trying to do life with just me and try to do things right with myself, but I got to know who I was. I was a child of God. And there's nothing that I could do or undo that was going to take his love away from me. And when I recognized how amazing he is, I couldn't do anything but want to live a life that was different. See, when we recognized, when we realized what God has done for us, we can't help but want to change. In Romans 2.4, it says, Do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness that leads you to repentance? And that repentance, it means to change your inner self, change your old way of thinking, and seek his purpose for your life. Church, the fact is that we live in a broken world, but the truth is that we can still have peace when we intimately know who our God is. Jesus, in 16, John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think that's so good. Pastor Josh is going to come up, and he's going to talk some more about our relationship with our Father and how we can win spiritual battles. Can we make it Sharon, I told you, man. I just, all, all these years, I'm like, whenever she talks, I'm like, she's not only gifted to do this, like, I feel closer to Jesus, and I'm like, maybe we need to have an altar call right now. You know, and then she tells me that she failed out of college, and I'm like, who is this woman? Because I don't know that in Vita. And that's kind of what happens with our past. Kind of the theme this morning is that the enemy, the enemy wants to keep you in your past, period. You know, we talk a lot in church about God's plan for your life. It's a good plan, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in a future. We believe that to be true. We believe because Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the grave that you could actually become the person that God desires you to be. We talk about God's plan for our life, but a lot of times at church, we don't talk about the enemy's plan for your life. 
as Avita just shared, the enemy's got a plan too. He wants to, to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. He wants to prowl around like a roaring lion and devour you, 1 Peter 5, 8. It, which, by the way, sometimes that roaring lion, when he comes in, when he first comes in, he's kind of like, like a little lion cub. You know, he's like all sweet and cute, little Simba, you just want to pet him. And then the next thing you know, that sin that gets rooted in your life begins to grow up and begins to be destructive and something that felt not that bad becomes very painful in our lives. See, if we acknowledge that the enemy is at work, and as Invita said in point number one, when we realize what God has done for us, we can't help but want to change, that some of us get to the state where we finally realize, I wanna change, but I just, I can't. I don't know why. And some of you, you've, been, uh, you've given your life over to Christ, but you continue to struggle with lust in a way that just is so destructive to your life. And you know the enemy is at work. Some of you, you have continued to struggle with the, the same sinful actions that you struggled with five years ago because the enemy's plan is working in your life. So point number two that I want us to do this morning, we have to acknowledge the temptations of the enemy and we have to resist the enemy's temptations in our lives. Now, how in the world do you do that? See, I find that like a lot of people who are very jaded in our culture, we don't even realize that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Uh, some of us, we've been Christians for decades, and the way the enemy attacks us today is not the way he used to, and we don't realize that these new tactics of the enemy are actually being destructive in our life, in our marriage, with our children and grandchildren, at our careers, and the enemy begins to bring dysfunction, disunity, get Christians arguing with each other, get Christians arguing and angry at those who aren't Christian, blaming them for the world's problems rather than saying the humans are not our enemy, the enemy is our enemy. And the way we fight a spiritual enemy is with a spiritual battle, and so we're going to need the work of God in our life to fight back so that we cannot just fight the way that we fight a normal battle. That's what I want to talk about. We have to resist the enemy's temptations. So here's how Jesus did it. We're going to pause for a second because Mary Magdalene, we're going to end in John 20 at the resurrection, and she's actually able to be obedient and not listen to the temptations of the enemy, and we're going to get to there. But let's begin with how she discovered it, and it's because she followed Jesus, and Jesus shows her how to resist the enemy's temptation. And the best place for us to look at that is in John chapter or Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. It's when Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. I want you to think about that has not eaten anything for 40 days. And the enemy comes, the Satan, the Hasatan, which is just a Hebrew for the adversary, comes to be destructive and to tempt Jesus in the desert. Here's what it says, verse one of Luke four. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The biggest understatement of the entire morning. <laughs> and, and as we get into this, I'm going to tell you, you have to stay, uh, you know, catch up because I'm going to move quick. This is where there's a lot of content if you're taking notes. But he's tempted in the wilderness, and here is how Jesus responds to the devil's temptation in his life. And I'll tell you, when I first became a Christian, for probably two or three years, I struggled with the idea of a spiritual battle and Satan and demons and that whole thing. I didn't understand it. It felt weird to me. 
I don't know if it feels weird to you, but when I began to acknowledge that the enemy had a plan, it was wanting to actually be destructive, I could then realize the temptations that he was using to steal, kill, and destroy in my life. And so how Jesus responds to those temptations is this, verse uh, three, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The second time the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All three of these times when Satan tempts him, he's going to go to what scripture says to respond because that's his, even Jesus's baseline that he bases his life not on the context of what humans around him are saying, but what our theme this year is, God's word says to us of how to live. Finally, the final one in uh, verse nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So let's break down these three temptations of Jesus the same way the enemy is still tempting each of us in this room today. The three temptations of Jesus. Here's the first one. We got slides for this. Here's the first one. Uh, Thanks, guys. I am what I do. I am what I do. So he goes to him and he says, hey, you haven't eaten in a really long time. I know you're super hungry and you want to fill your appetite. So like, why don't you take these stones? You're the son of God. So turn it into bread. You're the living, you know, the bread of life, right? John 6. So you just go ahead and show everybody right now. Make these stones into bread and show everybody what you can do. This same temptation happens to us in our culture today. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm not Gandalf. I can't turn stones into bread. Yeah, but think about it. When you go to a party, what's one of the first questions you ask somebody? So what do you do? Why do we ask that question? Because how you respond to that question, we put you in a particular category and we identify you as either powerful or not powerful in this strategic position. So you say, well, I'm a surgeon. Instantly, we go to certain places in our heads and we put, we put them in a category and we define people by that. Well, I'm a stay-at-home dad. Well, I, I, I actually work in sales. I actually work at Kroger, and we define people by what they do. I want to tell you this morning, no matter where you're at, your heavenly father does not define you by what you do. You are not just a salesperson. You don't just work at Kroger. You're not a doctor. He defines you by who you are in Christ. Number two, what the enemy will do, he will try and get you defined by what you do. He will try and get you to be defined by what you can control what you can control. Look with me in uh, verses five through eight. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. He tells Jesus, you could be the greatest supervillain in the history of humankind. You could have it all, everything. Power and control over all of humankind. Don't you want it? We define people too by like, okay, how many people report to you? I've got 10 people that report to me or 20 people or 50 people. And suddenly because you have more power and authority, that, that gives you strategic identification as a person of importance in our culture. And yet Jesus says, 
No, 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 no. I'm not going to be defined by what I can control, by my power in the human nature on this planet. You're not going to tempt me with the, 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 if you want to use the P word power, the A word would be ambition. You're not going to tempt me with the ambition to be powerful and oversee people. Maybe that's something that the enemy has used in your life recently, that you have made life choices based off of how much power and authority you could have and how much people would look at you because of that power and authority. That's not how Jesus sees you. Third and final one is this, that you are not what others say about you. You're not what others say about you. See, this I've found, we teach this in our discipleship huddles, by the way, in Luke chapter four, and I take a poll every time, and the most common one by far of what is most often destructive in the lives of people in our culture is this third and final one. I am what others say about me. Look, look what happens with Jesus in verses nine to 13. Again, the devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels. So he says, throw yourself off the temple, have the angels swoop in and save you. Now, why would that have been a temptation to Jesus? Was he into like extreme sports or something and it's gonna bungee jump off of the temple? No, this is the center of their civilization. This would be like going to Times Square and saying, jump off of here, have the angels swoop in and save you and everybody's gonna see who you are. Because you know you're gonna have to go to the cross and suffer on the count of your father. But listen, people could lodge you. The temptation of approval and popularity in our culture, oh man. So many of us make choices in our careers. Let's get real, for the students in the room, at our schools, right? Like you say things, the temptation the enemy will use in your life to get you to say things in the locker room or to do things in the hallway or the classroom to get somebody to laugh because then people will like you regardless of the hurt or pain it may cause another person. By the way, I find that that temptation does not go away. There are plenty of 55-year-old business people that are still making choices for the applaud, uh, approval of other human beings rather than for their audience of one, their heavenly father. To resist each of those temptations, he quotes scripture and he's like, I'm not gonna be defined by these three things. What is Jesus defined by? Look, I think this is super key to everything we're talking about with Mary Magdalene this morning. She is no longer defined by being referred to as the person with the seven demons. That's in her past. The enemy wants to live in her past and to get her to believe that's who she will always be. To get Envita to believe that she's not qualified or good enough or able to communicate to people, to get you to believe that you'll never be one of those Christians that God actually uses. You will always give in to that same stronghold and sin and temptation, and you will continue to have a marriage that is broken and children that are far from God, and you will continue to hurt people in the workplace. You will continue to get back into that drug addiction and those sexual lustful habits and pornography, and you can't change it. There's nothing you can do. Just give in. That little lion cub that was so cute and innocent is devouring your life. And you can see it. Other people can see it. You know your heart or hearts that you were meant for more and you can't do anything about it. And I want to tell you, that is the lie from the pit of hell that the Hasatan, the adversary, wants you to believe. 
Because Jesus tells us that we can find intimacy with our Father, and that's how we fight back spiritually. How is Jesus defined? Do you know what happened right before the temptation in the desert, in the wilderness? In Luke chapter three, the chapter right before, Jesus is baptized, and we get a picture of the Trinity right here. Luke chapter three, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, he was the son of God. He didn't need to get baptized to wash his sin away, right? So why is he getting baptized? He's demonstrating to us where to find our spiritual identity so that we can fight back against the enemy's work in our lives. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't done what he was supposed to do. The father, by the way, is very elusive in scripture. Of the, if you're not familiar with the concept of the theological view of the Trinity, that one God in three persons, and you often don't get to see the work of the father in scripture. In fact, Jesus earlier in the gospel of John tells us that you don't know my father. I've got a relationship with him, but you don't. But all of that changes after the crucifixion and the resurrection, and things are never going to be the same again. And Jesus, in that moment of being baptized, he's defined because he is the son of God. And he is well pleased with him, not because of what he could do or what he could control or what people thought about him, but because he had intimacy with his heavenly father. That's what firmly rooted him against the temptations that would come in chapter four. By the way, because of the work of Jesus, do you know that in Romans chapter eight, verses 14 to 16, it says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. In fact, verse 15, I love this verse, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, or for some of you, daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's interesting. They actually put the Aramaic word. This is written in, in Koine Greek. They put the Aramaic word in there, Abba, to give you the example of what they're really talking about. Abba means daddy. It's the kind of intimacy that a child has with their daddy. And if you're like me, I am not naturally an emotionally vulnerable person that I can resist intimacy even with my heavenly father. And he says, you don't have to do that. This is how you get firmly rooted to fight back spiritually in this world, to cultivate intimacy with your heavenly father through prayer and worship and fasting and communing with him so that when the enemy's tactics come, you can resist and fight back. Let me hear, hear this. If you're struggling with the same stronghold the enemy has had in your life for the last two years, three years, five decades, I don't know. You don't have an obedience problem. You have an identity problem. You don't have the intimacy with your heavenly father so that the spirit of God overflows to resist the temptation. Let me, uh, this is key for me when I was a young adult and I was struggling big time and following Jesus when I first became a Christian. Now, the enemy's tactics today are still at work in my life, but they look different today than they did 20 some years ago. But as a young man, man, lust and, and alcohol and the oh, big surprise, common thing for young people, right? Like the enemy used those things in my life. And I was just like, I don't know why I keep giving it. 
I keep, I keep trying harder and harder and harder. Your, your natural ability will never be enough to fight back supernaturally against the enemy. The, the problem is that you're fighting a spiritual battle with your natural abilities, and what you need is intimacy with the heaven, your heavenly Father, so firmly rooted your identity in being a son or daughter of God that his spirit is overflowing into your life so that when the temptation comes, and Scripture tells us there's no temptation that is given beyond what we can bear, we can resist it and fight back spiritually because no, 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 no. You're not going to break intimacy with my Father. I love him too much. It hurts too much. I don't want that to happen yeah and, and some of you are like i don't even think that's possible yeah it is anybody here ever like given up uh soda before or i keep forgetting we're in indiana you get pop before come on grew up in the country yeah and and like you give that up and at first like if you've used that every day it's very difficult but you do it for a year or two you don't even want it anymore it kind of feels gross to you we understand this physically when we get healthy physically in our bodies, but spiritually the same is true. And if you're here this morning, you say, well, I want that type of communion with my heavenly father. I want that type of intimacy, but, but I don't hear from him. And Vita gets up here and says, I can hear from him. I don't hear from him. I just sit there and I try and pray. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Look, when you first go to the gym and you haven't worked out in two decades, and you lift three times and you walk a half a mile, are you all of a sudden just some supernatural, physically gifted person? No. But if you go to the gym every day for a decade or more, you coming out looking like Fabio by the end of that, right? I keep, I gotta come, that's an old reference, isn't it? I need uh, young people, give me a younger reference. But like, you know that in our physical exercise, the same thing is true. Some of you have not used your spiritual exercise in your body. You have not developed your spiritual abilities in prayer and fasting and worship and grown in communion with your intimacy with your heavenly father. I often say Joshua made the sun stand still, saw this miraculous thing occur, but it didn't happen until 10 chapters into his book. Because he had to build that intimacy with God where he got the faith to actually trust God would show up in his life. And some of you, the enemy has been at work and you have not acknowledged his plan for your life and fought back spiritually against him with intimacy with your heavenly father. The final thing I'll share is this. See, Mary Magdalene got it. As we wrap up this whole series, really the theme of it comes from chapter 20, verses 14 to 17. Mary was someone who had been so dramatically changed by Jesus and had this intimacy that she did not want broken, so much so that when he is crucified and her world falls apart and she sees him taking the body down from the cross, she's with him taking him to the tomb, that she can't wait until that first Sunday morning, that resurrection morning, to go there that day. She's not going there to celebrate he rose from the grave. She's bringing stuff to anoint his body because she's lost everything and she misses him. She gets up at the crack of dawn, goes there, and the body is gone. And she thinks somebody robbed the tomb, remember? And she's so distraught. It would be so easy to get angry and live in fear. Here it is again. I'm back to my old life. Why doesn't anything ever go right for me? But then, you remember what happens? We looked at this last week. Look with me. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And I find that sometimes when we're at our lowest of our lows, Jesus is the one carrying us, standing right there with us. 
Now we can't even see him or know that it's him, but then here's what happens. He asked her, well, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She confused him because he must have looked dirty or something. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. All he did was say her name. But when Jesus says her name, she knows who it is. And sometimes when you hear your voice, the voice of God in your life, and he calls you by name, and you experience that moment where you can feel and experience something that you can't uh, define, you can't feel anywhere else in this world, she, here's what she does. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. She realizes it's Jesus, and Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, literally don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Remember, all through the Gospel of John, it was his father, not your father. You don't know him. But look what happens. Go instead to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them, I am ascending to my father, look at it, and to your father, to my God, and to your God. That because of the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, you can actually commune with your heavenly father. You can have intimacy with him, to know him in ways you haven't, you can actually hear from him. And you may have to develop that spiritual muscle in your life over the next decade before you hear a single word from him, but that sometimes that's how it works and God uses that process. But as you pray, as you worship, as you fast, as you study God's word, as you come together in community as a local church, God begins to grow your faith in a way that you can't get any other way. And those spiritual battles that you were struggling with, if you're here and you've been in the same addictive habit for the last 20 years, I want to tell you, it can stop. There's going to be hard work that comes with it, but it can stop. If you are here and you feel like your marriage is just falling apart and it can't be fixed, nothing's going to change. I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Your enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is the enemy. If you're here and, and your child is so far from God and you have given up hope and you've become angry at that child and you blame them for their destructive habits rather than realizing the enemy is at work and wants to steal, kill, and destroy the lives of our children and our culture today. You can't just fight back by getting angry at your child. You gotta get serious of inviting people in your life to pray, to fast, to call on our Heavenly Father, to bring a spiritual work in a spiritual battle. You have to start fighting back in the way only our Heavenly Father can. And so if you're here this morning and you be, need to acknowledge the strongholds of the enemy in your life and in your family's life and call on his name, we want to invite you to do that. And I'll tell you this this morning. Some of the, the greatest people that I find have such strong intimacy with our Heavenly Father. They come to this prayer room every Sunday morning and they just pray for you. And some of you need to just sprint. And I mean sprint over there and say, I'm not doing this anymore. It's been 20 years of this. I'm done. And the enemy's not going to win. His plan is not best for my life. And I'm going to change. And some of you here who have been Christians a long time, you have missed that the enemy is using new tactics in your life. This is me. He's using new tactics. The old tactics didn't work anymore. So now he's figured out new ways to steal, kill, and destroy and be destructive in your life and your family and your friends and, and actually bring down your faith and not give, give you a lack of hope of what Jesus could do, tell you you could never actually change lives, to change this community, to end racism, to stop the problems in our society that everybody wants to bicker and fight about in political battles instead of praying to our Heavenly Father that can actually make a change. And I want to invite you this morning to acknowledge that all of us repent of it, turn to him, and grow our intimacy with our Father. Will you pray with me? God, I admit right now, God, 
that every single one of us needs this. Mary's spiritual battle didn't end when the demons were cast out. That was, that was the monumental change in her life. But, but when the resurrection occurs, anxiety and worry and fear set in. And yet all over again, she had to turn to you, Jesus, acknowledge your presence, resist the temptations of the enemy, and choose to follow you in obedience. So right now, all of us, if you're here today, you've been a Christian a while, you're brand new to Christianity, but you wanna acknowledge that the enemy is real. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're gonna repent of listening to him do this beautiful thing and ask for increased intimacy with your heavenly father to fight back spiritually in those battles. Pray with, with me now. God, I admit that I need you. I repent of the enemy's plan in my life. I'm not gonna listen to it anymore. I need intimacy with you so that you can fight back spiritually for me and overflow your spirit in my life. I claim that I am a son of you, God, the almighty God of the universe. Or for some of you, I'm a daughter of you, God, the almighty God of the universe. I claim you in my life. Fight back. I repent of the stronghold and I turn to you in obedience, Lord Jesus. We love you. We surrender our lives to you and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen.